Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash Radio. And Phil, welcome back from a little hiatus. I see you look refreshed. <laughs> Thank you. It's uh, great to be back. I think we had uh, we both had a vacation week, and last week, Michael, you were kind enough to allow me the week off. So it's been a couple of weeks, but uh, you know we've missed so much, and I, there's almost. You know, as, as sort of we're preparing for the show and you talk about, oh, we haven't been here in two weeks. Like, what's the news? I can't even keep up with the news from yesterday, it's, it, let alone the news from two weeks it's ago. It's a tsunami of political news every <laughs> single day, every single week here. And, you know, I don't want to fall into the trap that we do every week of, of just dumping on the White House. But I, we're going to have to we're going to have to dump on the White House. Well, I mean, what? what what happened this week, and it's undeniable. I mean, let's just—I understand they want to deny the fact that there's chaos in the White House, but when you replace, when your communications director lasts ten days in the job, and basically there are some out there who admit that he was just essentially a suicide bomber, a political suicide bomber, to get rid of the chief of staff, Reince Priebus, that Scaramucci was there just to get rid of Reince Priebus. Some reason, you couldn't just fire Reince Priebus. You had to embarrass the heck out of him and get rid of him and force him out in a most unceremonious, un <laughs> unpolitical way. Uh, and then Scaramucci's gone. And it's after essentially dumping all over everybody else in the White House and threatening to fire everybody. The amazing thing is he goes around and says, I'm going to fire everybody. I'm going to be the last person here. But guess what? Nobody told him that his job itself was in jeopardy. And this is actually a big deal for Scaramucci. According to uh, reports I've seen, he because he didn't stay long enough to get an exemption for selling his own firm, he it's going to cost him about $7.5 million. In addition, he missed the birth of his son. His wife filed for divorce. I mean, this guy had a really bad week. This was It was a bad 10 days. I mean, 10 days, we, we weren't, because of our, our short hiatus, we weren't able to have him on the show to, yes. to, to explain. I mean, we literally missed well, now the he'll entire be more avail- Scaramucci he'll period. Be more, he'll be more available. We did. We missed the Scaramucci era. The Scaramucci uh, era has come and gone. As communications director, it is... Absolutely fascinating. And here's, again, and this is what I think fascinates me more than anything, is that to say there is no White House chaos, right? To say those, to tweet, no White House chaos. What do we call this? What do you call it? You're literally burning through staff at at an amazing rate with the rumors flying. You know, we talk about draining the swamp, right? When you're talking about your own cabinet appointments, you're literally talking about your own attorney general, your own appointments, and talking about how they're beleaguered and they're embattled and, and, and literally going after your own people, it, it's, it boggles the mind. And, and as we talk, I know it's almost, an, and I'm trying to understand, it's almost like an alternate reality. It's an alternate universe, right? It's this, everything is great. Everything is fantastic. Everybody else must be in the wrong or nuts or fake news or all these other things. While everything in my world seems fantastic until... You know, and this might be a good segue. You see the poll numbers. I mean, yeah, the poll numbers are bad. I mean, if you're a Republican and, you know, we talk about, you know, perhaps Donald Trump doesn't care, although he always has cared about the polls that are favorable to him. But we'll leave it aside. Some people don't care about the polls. He'll figure I've got three and a half years to go. What do I care about polls right now? But the problem is for Congress and you have congressional Republicans now having to stand with the president who has only a third of the country as an, an approval of him. That's scary going into a midterm election. Traditionally, the party in power does not do well in the midterm elections. Yes, the map 
favors congressional, uh, sorry, Senate Republicans. The map does, but the right now the polling favors congressional Democrats. That's Democrats in the House. I mean, it you don't have to look too far. I think it was twenty one seats that Hillary Clinton won that are held by Republicans. That means that the Republican in the House ran way ahead, well ahead of President Trump. That means he's unpopular in those districts, uh, essentially. And he's probably less popular because a lot less popular in general now. I don't think there's polling by congressional district yet. But you could see the Republicans losing the House. If you looked at it now, you could see... very easily a scenario where the Republicans lose the House. And that has got to be terrifying for a lot of congressional Republicans. You've got to wonder at what point do they jump ship from, as you said, a chaos White House. It's hard for it's hard for us to keep up. And we have very little at stake. I mean, we just sit here and pontificate. But for people whose office is on the line, I mean, you look, Phil, you, you've been I mean, what do you think about as an office holder when a lot of your future is dependent on somebody at the top, at the top of the on ticket? The actions of another. It's very scary. I mean, look, these members of, of Congress and, and, and senators literally have to worry about fighting for their jobs, fighting for their seats, fighting for what they think they, they believe they're in is in the best interest of their states. And it's going to get harder. You know, we talked six months ago, you know, we saw, oh, well, this, you know, there were some special elections, some special congressional elections. And we talked about well, this is a bellwether district, and if if the Republicans win, that shows that Trump is still doing okay. And I said, and I think we both said at the time, uh, we both said at the time that, you know, it's just too soon, right? It's simply too soon. He just won. We're still in the honeymoon period. It's no longer too soon, right? These numbers at this point, at, at just about seven months, are pretty troubling for members of Congress who are literally ramping up their campaigns now. I mean, I mean... Opponents and opposition is starting. They're starting to declare candidacies. You're seeing it all over New York State. You're seeing it all over the country. You know, announcements for new people running for office, and they're tying their member to President Trump. And that is not something that that is favorable to the incumbent, right? To that Republican that is holding on. These poll numbers do not give them any assurance that there's going to be any bounce back. Now, here's the thing: this idea that oh, there's three and a half years left, and and we have plenty of time to make it up. There's right now is is where the the incumbents, the congressional Republicans, are are looking to solidify their base and sort of try and make that grow, and there's no indication that it's getting any better. And I think that's the scary part, right? Because if the numbers are down, and I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna go back to sort of the Mike Bloomberg in 2001 in New York City after Mike Bloomberg won in 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 that mayoral election, his numbers went were tanked. I mean, they literally tanked. I mean, there was a point where like. People used to joke that you don't want to be near him because you don't want to get hit with the eggs and the tomatoes. And, and I talked to friends who were in the administration. But I think there was a glimmer of hope, right? You saw a vision. You saw, you know, hey, we're going to keep moving forward. And there's sort of like an upturn coming. And as the mayor sort of he progressed, his numbers came up and creeped up and creeped up till 2005, where he literally won, you know, in a landslide, right? He won a tremendous way. Nobody sees sort of an uptick coming, right? Wh- where is this president going? The only thing we keep seeing him doing is sort of trying to keep that 33%, right? To try and hold on to that base that that won him this election. That's who he keeps pandering to. That's who he keeps trying to appease. You know, we can talk about so many of the things that took place, but but arguably the reason he did so much of that is to literally hold on to that base. I mean, I, I don't even think we talked about, we were going to speak about this, but his tweets on the transgender ban in the military, right? Shocking. It, it, it's shocking not because of the 
ideological position. No, it's that, shocking. If that's your position, then great. It's shocking because of the way it was done. The way it was done. And the fact that your Joint Chiefs of Staff didn't know, right? The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff didn't know that was coming. But it's it was directly discriminatory, meaning that you just basically said you made no provision for those who were in the armed forces already, those who were going into the armed forces. Essentially, for what it boils down to, is that they wanted to restrict people because they didn't want to spend the money on transgender surgery and gender switching surgery whatever it was but that's not exactly what happened and when you announce policy through a tweet it sounds not it not only does it sound ridiculous but it does sound offensive and you know it's it's and but this was supposed to be where Ivanka would come in as a advisor that she was going to soften the president she was going to get him to not do things like this and for whatever reason and then when everybody steps back and says you can't do this Right. Oh well, this, that, whatever. But it's also it's also similar as we saw yesterday from the White House now going after legal immigration, and we saw I. It was also kind of astounding. It was astounding, of course, for the fact that Stephen Miller, the White House senior advisor and speechwriter, went up to the podium and he is about the most combative people I can think of. It's funny because Scaramucci wrote a whole memo, apparently, which was which has been leaked, of course, like everything else. Uh, his his memo talked about how the communications team needs to not go to war with the press. The president can go to war with the press, but the communications team shouldn't stand out there and go to war with the press, which I agree with. I mean, if the principal wants to go ahead and 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 go the and go after the press. I think the president has actually done that successfully, and I think actually it's been good for him relatively because there are a lot of people out there, particularly on the right, who don't feel that the press is press is hopelessly uh, left and hopelessly ho- hopelessly favors the Democrats in editorials, etc. We'll, we'll, we can leave that as a larger debate aside. It's probably I think it's probably true, although I don't think that the press is. That I think that many most reporters try and cover things very, very fairly. But when you go up there in the podium, in the White House podium, and go after the press directly, and you call them essentially stupid and ignorant, which Stephen Miller did to Jim Acosta yesterday, over legal immigration. Basically, the White House has basically said, we are going to favor white English-speaking, well, they didn't say white, but that's the implication, white English-speaking, rich people to come into this country. So Jim Acosta said, well, what about the... Emma Lazarus, you know, one of our people, you're Stephen Miller, you're, you're, you're poor, you're only 33, I mean, and, and Stephen says, well, that's actually not part, that didn't come with the, the statue, statue that of added later. that was added later, so it doesn't count, <laughs> what the heck is this guy talking about, and, and there we go, straight to the base, I mean, if you want to rule, if you want to rule as the representative of 30% of the country, and, and rule as other white resentment, and people who... Uh, want to take back the country and feel left out in in what America has become or is becoming? Yeah, I guess that's that makes sense. I don't know if that gets you to re-election. I don't know if that gets your party to oh, to winning in two thousand eighteen. I personally, I'm kind of skeptical. But you know that is certainly where they're headed, and, and that's the point. But but there is a strategy in that, at least. I think I think what I what I want to say actually is to, to at least there is a strategy behind that. At least there's something doing something, and they're backing it up, and they're not. That's different than the transgender ban. You know, the transgender ban is just botched. 
Okay, the travel ban was just botched. Correct. Here we have something that you're actually saying, okay, we've actually thought this through. We might think the the thinking is warped, but you've actually thought this through. And they fun, put it, then to send out Miller, he's the wrong it, guy. And it just it didn't make any sense because you can make the argument again. It's not about the ideological argument because you can have that argument, you can have that debate in a in a in a in a real way and in a mature intellectual way and and disagree but to be combative like that and this goes exactly back to the point is that this president is focusing on the base and we said this from the day he got elected to the day he was inaugurated is that there is going to come a point where members of congress members of the house and members of the senate are going to start to peel away and you saw it during the healthcare debate with Murkowski and Collins and John McCain right and you saw it this week with uh, with uh, Senator Flake who literally who wrote a book and, and wrote a, a damning op-ed to, to the president, basically calling him out to say, like, this is not what the conservatives and Republicans stand for. And, and quite frankly, this is going to be the problem. And so let's actually talk about yesterday for a moment. So the president stands up there and talks about the, the, the RISE Act, in which we're going to limit legal immigration to to, to, to to many different things. And as I said, I always thought they were going after illegal immigration. No, now legal, we're going I know now we're going after legal immigration. Michael, what are the chances this bill has passes the Senate and or the House? It wasn't literally a, a few minutes after where Lindsey Graham got on the news and basically said, this bill and he's a Republican, this bill will kill my state. We rely on migrant workers. We rely on labor. On you know, there are jobs that Americans do not want to fill, and we rely on on this on these people to get to keep our industry going. Right. We cut it, that out. Our industry will die. Our you, state will die. The interesting thing is, just like healthcare, you know who this hurts the most? Rural America. That's your just base? like how that is the base. Trump, if you look at the map of the country and the counties that were won and the huge rural America voted heavily and has shifted heavily towards the Republicans and rural America has voted for Donald Trump. And yet in the Obamacare repeal and replace, they essentially went after rural America. And if you look at Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, those are states where rural health care is, you know, the subsidies that come from rural health care to rural health care from the federal government are significant and the immigration debate here about legal immigration particularly for migrant workers and farm workers and laborers which they essentially want to cut out that is going to hurt rural america significantly which is amazing when you think about it you know it, it's kind of funny and look i'm not a, i'm not a farmer but i imagine that you have a subset of people who are out there on the farms who decry immigrant labor who don't speak English at the same time while utilizing it themselves in order to make their Correct. business run, which is, of course, this irony, which, of course, makes the irony of the fact that the policy is just seems to be ridiculous. And, and so let's just sort of to, to put a big bow on this. It, you're seeing congressional Republicans start to walk away. It goes back to the famous speech during the Republican convention. I alone can can solve our nation's problems. No, it's just not working because well, nobody alone can do anything. That's really what it comes look, down and, to. And, and, and all these promises and, and all these pledges that were made on day one and all these things that are going to happen. What has happened? Zero. Right. And the only thing and when you watch and again, when you watch Fox News and you talk about, well, no one's how come no one's talking about the stock market? I hate to say this. Look, I'm not saying he doesn't. The president doesn't deserve any credit for this. But the economy was kind of in an upswing when the president took office. So I'm not saying that he's not responsible for keeping it going and infusing it and making sure that uh, and ensuring that the stock market continues to go up. But quite frankly, 
this president does not have an accomplishment to speak of. And I don't see a pathway forward, right? I don't I don't see something where we're going to work on, right? The next big debate, right? The president is still talking about healthcare reform, even though what's so fascinating to me, and this is a great segue, I think. It's so fast. I told you from the beginning we're just going to let it implode. No, you didn't. You said you were going to repeal and replace you it. You said it was going to be easy. Right? And so after you failed, you go back and say, oh, I told you from the beginning. No, you did not. It failed because you had an inability to actually do anything to get it done, whether you're blaming it on Reince Priebus or the, the vice president or, quite frankly, look in the mirror. You didn't get it done. And now you're going to go into tax reform like it's going to be no big deal. We're just going to go straight into tax reform when... There's no bills out there. There's no debates out there. There's no scheduled hearings planned. There's really... And, and so what's next? What are we actually going to get done? And there's not that many days left. And we still No, have, there's not that many. And you have the debt ceiling coming up, which ceiling. is going to be a huge, a huge issue at the end of September. And there are only about, I think, 12 joint days where the Congress is in the whole month of September. And it's really, I mean, most conservatives are against going to be against the debt ceiling. Democrats are going to be against spending cuts to offset raising the debt ceiling that most Republicans want. And the White House has really shown itself incapable of working with Congress, or at least reading Congress, because you don't usually bring up uh, you don't usually bring up things to a vote if you think they might fail. And that's you know that's been a difficult read. But you know I, I want to transition for a second. But I think we should I guess be, at least both put on the record. Can General Kelly, John Kelly, the new Chief White House Chief of Staff, can he write the ship? I get in your opinion. I think I think he can for a limited amount of time, right? Because at the end of the day, it's a matter of, of you know, we've kept hearing from Corey Lewandowski, let, let Trump be Trump, right? And so, yes, I think he could bottle it up. I think there's going to be a point where General Kelly as a four-star general can come in and bring some order and um, and, and bring some, some sort of to tamper down on the chaos that has been taking place in the White House. But I don't think it lasts. I think at some point, General Kelly gets frustrated, whether it's because of Jared, whether because it's Donald Jr., whether it's because of Ivanka, um, or just so many of the clowns that are currently inhabiting the White House. I don't. I think he's going to get frustrated. But at the end of the day, what's really going to bother him is going to be the president himself, who is going to do something, who's going to go off the handle, who's going to look at today's poll numbers, who's going to hear some new breaking news about Russia or, or some new issue that... that, that you know, it came out yesterday uh, that that the special counsel is bringing on uh, more and more attorneys. More firepower, especially those in forensic accounting forensic and money laundering. This, this, uh, we, we, I don't want to go into the Russia thing again this week. I mean, it's, it's, no, but to, it's that, but to the, to that extent, yes. I mean, it over, I think it overhangs everything that's going on in the White House right now. No, unquestionably. But we it's had a, a good four days with General Kelly, and I think we're going to get a few more. And I actually think that, like, okay, yeah, yesterday I, was kind of an odd day because while, again, I don't understand. If General Kelly was making the decisions, why was Stephen Miller going out to that podium? Right. I, I well, don't understand that. Because, as you said, he's got to pander to the base. And that's, this is the pandering to the base. I don't think this is going to pass, but there is something you're throwing out there. And believe me, the way the White House makes news and changes news, this this Stephen Miller rant will be forgotten pretty soon, except on, on conservative talk media who will eat it up. Uh, personally, I think Kelly can write the ship. I think, like with anything in politics, I think we both know, even 
the worst situations can be rectified, particularly for a White House that makes news, the constant soap opera. I don't think that in a couple months anybody's going to remember Anthony Scaramucci as scandalous as the things that he gone. said and did. It's going to be gone. He's going to be gone, and there's going to continue to move on, and they continue to make, you know, as we said, we, we go away for two weeks. We There's so much. I mean, there's... there's, there's um, a year's worth of news to talk about. And even in the last week, we can't cover everything that's happened. So I, I do think that Kelly can do that. He seems to be imposing discipline. Obviously, getting rid of Scaramucci was a huge move. Um, I think the fact, I mean, the biggest sin of for Anthony Scaramucci, in my mind, was not even the fact that he offended everybody and made enemies over and over and essentially was, well, we'll put it, put it essentially was unable to give straight answers uh, as at all on any issue. I think his biggest issue is not understanding the idea of what off the record means. I mean, how is it that you call up a reporter and don't say, are we off the record? Off the record. As you're the communications director, you're the pro, and you're getting rid of, and you're saying you're coming in because Sean Spicer can't do the job, and you yourself are being so bad at it. But we had... Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, I think you're exactly right. I wanted to talk about the, the one poll number I thought that... that yes, we got. I wanted to get into the Quinnipiac poll. We reviewed that very quickly. Go ahead. No, no, no. The, the one number I think that surprised me were, was the, the percentage of people that don't trust this president. I think the number was 60... 62. 62%. I answer, is the president truthful? I think it was 34, yes. 62, no. Right. That's a that's a unbelievable number. Is the president truthful? Is right. the president of the United States truthful? And, and, and let's sort of just dig in for a moment about why would you think that, right? And so we can we could talk about things like, you know, the Boy Scout speech. By the way, which was a bit controversial in its own right, right? Because very controversial. The speech was it was, it was a very political speech. It was it was a very political speech to a very non-political audience, right? But to, and this is it, this is what what just bothers me, right? You have enough problems that are coming along with that speech. Don't make more. Right. Don't, don't create more. So to get a, to to say it was such a great speech right. that the head and of the Boy Scouts called me to tell me how great it's the best speech they've ever gotten. Didn't happen. It didn't happen. It right. just it's a lie. The call didn't happen. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a lie. He said I got a phone call. It didn't happen. He also said I got a phone call from the president of Mexico who is happy with our immigration or, or, or our tough stance on immigration and the wall because it's helping him as well. Never happened. He said those words in an interview, but it actually never happened. Well, that's I, that was going to be my spin of the week award, but you'll you can have oh, that I'm right sorry. there. No, no, that's good. That's good. There's no question. I mean, I think Sarah Huckabee Sanders just did a, a yeoman's job of trying to explain. Well, it wasn't actually a phone call. He said so. I don't even know. I mean, how do you even go out there and explain and for, these things? Why not just say we made a mistake? But she can't say that because the president will go live it. You have to watch yesterday. Yes. That is a, yes. I, I forget her exact terminology, a bold allegation. Bold like, allegation like, to say it's a lie. How dare you call, like, say the president lied? Well, then what would you call it? Well, he misunderstood. He was, uh, he just, he, it was really in person. Right? Look, if I give a speech, when you're walking... As a politician, when you give a speech at a graduation and you're walking off the stage, it could have been the worst speech you've ever given. Everybody wants to make you feel, oh, great speech. Oh, it was the greatest speech we ever heard, right? 
That's not real. Now, if someone actually, there's a fundamental difference because if someone goes out of their way three days later to call you to say, you know, the feedback's been great. That was the greatest speech we ever got. It's very different than someone saying like, oh, great speech and then turning to his friend and said, ooh, that was awful. Like, yeah, it's, it's just uh, not the same. And then to say the president of Mexico called you? It's, well, yeah, it was a sidebar meeting. But it, I agree. It, well, look, there's, there's no question that, and this is a long history way before he became president, that Donald Trump has a casual relationship with the truth and it's always you know truth for hyperbole he's put that on the record that he does embellish sometimes we'll leave it we'll leave it at that that's just who he is so that's just what he says he likes to say things and they can't yeah i always find it odd you know it's one thing to lie it's another thing to lie about things that can be easily disproven and i think that that's i think that's what you have here which is which is crazy but i do think the poll numbers are particularly bad it's particularly among older americans non-college educated whites Trump is upside down on favorable, unfavorable, which is a very scary place to be, even with the people who brought you in to office. And maybe that's why we're seeing that legal immigration uh, adjustment, we'll call it. But let's let's let, let's move on for a second. Two more topics I want to cover because I think Jared Kushner gives a speech to a bunch of interns. Of course, that speech leaks is leaked. out. Leaks uh, out. There's a recording. recording. And Jared Kushner speaks for like an hour, and this, I, and I hate to say, I didn't put him into this situation. I didn't say that Jared Kushner is going to bring Middle East peace here, but then to admit, well, you know, again, once again, it's really complicated. I'm not sure what. I mean, the highlights are, you know, everybody's been trying for 50 years and they haven't succeeded. And I guess the money line was, well, what are you bringing that's unique here? And his essentially says, I don't know. And I don't know whether we can do this. But remember, if anybody can bring Middle East peace, it's Jared Kushner. That's supposed to be what it is. And there aren't a lot of State Department professionals there. The State Department isn't even handling this. There isn't even, you know, that whole department is doesn't exist. And for a lot of us in our community, we're kind of thinking, okay, at least we hope that they could actually accomplish something in this area but aside from nikki haley at the un which has been just she's, unbelievable she's been unbelievable there really hasn't been anything else and jared, jared and it has been particularly good is the biggest you know again you know i would say clown of the of the week but cl- I mean, he is just such a he, you never met a, man, a person who is more unqualified to do anything that he's currently tasked to do right what are his qualifications right what 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 who gives him any authority or, or what gives anybody the thought that he is the, the guy to bring about peace? And here's the funniest part. He admitted he can't. Right. He basically got up and said, I've got no new ideas. Who thought he actually could do it to begin with? It, it, it makes no sense. And to think that Ivanka Trump right, was going to be in the White House and she was going to look out for women's rights and look out for LGBTQ rights right, and look out for all these things. What is she doing? And what are her qualifications to do it? And clearly, they're failing. Those two are literally um, are failing. They're failing not just the president. This is what what is so sad. They're 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 failing the American people, right? Because those are jobs that should be filled with smart, intelligent people who know how to do a job. That's who should be in those jobs. And unfortunately, those people are not. And here's the saddest part: is because as, as much as they make mistakes, and as much as as they they get into gaffes remember you know nepotism 101 you never hire somebody you can't fire and the president is not going to fire his daughter and he's not going to fire his son-in-law which leaves us to suffer through this you know we're we're have people in the White House who literally just don't know what they're doing. Well, I don't blame them for trying this. I don't blame that. But what I do blame is this idea that, or at least the hubris of it, that the president and his son-in-law 
we're going to say essentially that it would be easy. I'm the deal maker. I can make this happen and nobody else can make it happen. And it's just, it, it seems to be so have so lack of understanding for a guy who really should have an understanding coming as you know with the ties that he has to Israel to have an understanding of why this is so difficult and complicated and look I I don't even know I I don't want to believe it but I do want to say is that it's Israel always gets blamed in the end for this and that's the problem is when there's not progress on peace, when, when the international community in the United States put a lot of investment into the peace process and keeping that going, Israel always somehow gets blamed. And that's what I'm afraid of again is that, that that's, you know, unfortunately, that's going to be the way it goes. We'll have to see. But I guess his own admission is that essentially he's doing nothing new and there's no new ideas on their part. I mean, there was this new idea. It was the inside out. You were going to bring the, the, the Gulf nations in to make peace. That doesn't seem to be talked about anymore. Who knows what's going on? Uh, we got to, we got to, as we close off, we got to switch gears here to local affairs and particularly the borough park council seat being vacated by our friend, David Greenfield, which now seems to be engaged in a proxy war between assemblyman Dove Hikens and councilman Greenfield with his, uh, protege, our friend, Common Jaeger, as well as Yoni Heikens. Uh, I want to say I'm friends with both sides, with 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 Assemblyman Heikens and with Councilman Greenfield. But there is a po- that is a long time uh, battle between the two of them, and that is and seems to be an open warfare now. That Heikens running versus Jaeger in the November election for City Council. Yeah, the saddest part is that it's it's not sort of these, these are not this is not staying within the confines of the Jewish community. It's not staying oh, within it's the out confines there. of the Orthodox community. It was in the New York Times, sort of the 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 Jewish infighting, if you put it that way, was literally in the New York Times on Tisha B'Av, and it is absolutely, I think, one of it's a huge it's an embarrassment. It's in it's it's a tremendous chilashem. I think we saw parts we saw things we saw a bit of that in the five towns not too long ago with one of the school board elections. It shouldn't happen. You've got to find a way to, to come together and get along. And again, I'm I'm very close with, with everybody involved here. I literally have personal relationships with everybody involved here. And it's very unfortunate because they're all dedicated public servants who want to give. We've got to find a way to, to work together. It doesn't know. The thing is, this doesn't always have to be a proxy war about between between one side or the other. Unfortunately, it's kind of been set up like that. Um, I don't have, as I said two weeks ago, I don't have any problem with the way that Greenfield followed the law and replaced somebody. He got a new job. That's the that's the mechanism by which you do it. There's no issue with that. Kamal Yeager is very qualified to be a city councilman. Uh, he's very qualified to be a community, a community guy. The the fake outrage that's out there, I think, is uh, is disappointing. But, you know, look, it's politics, and politics is going to have some level of fighting with it. I mean, you know that, Phil. I mean, there were always people, you know, when you were in office, always people sniping against no, you. No, not me. Not, not me. You. I got along with everybody all the time. Uh, it was uh, just a glorious, glorious time. Maybe that one time on the floor with that woman. Well, whatever. Let's not talk about that. Okay, well, that's good. That's a good <laughs> That's a good note to end on. Uh, former Assemblyman now, get along with everybody in during his tenure in Albany. This has been Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network. See you next week. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.